Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and joining me today is Jason Mitchell. We're at uh, Shields Archery University today down in South Dakota. So basically what it is is it's it's an event where there's a whole bunch of vendors and there's Shields experts, and we're doing a whole bunch of training and, uh, you know, just getting used to everything archery. So, Jason, thank you for joining us. Yeah, pretty cool event. It's the first time I've ever been down here for this, and it's it's I love bow hunting, so it's pretty cool to see all this. You know, I've had a lot of questions answered, so that's been pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just it's a great place to connect with all these vendors and ask a whole bunch of questions and see a lot of new products, too. There's a couple I'd love to talk about on this podcast right now. Now, but uh, especially from from a certain vendor that does uh, trail cameras and and stuff like that. But uh, I got kind of got to keep it under wraps. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, you know, we got Jason Mitchell here. Uh, I think we'd like to just talk a little bit about some fishing stuff and then uh, some some planning and preparations for the hunting season. So, what have you been up to lately? You know, I've been fishing a lot. Obviously, it's uh, you know early June, and uh, we've been fishing. And uh, actually, I was up. Uh, in Canada bear hunting here this past week and it was 40 mile an hour winds every day and pouring rain and we didn't see any bears <laughs> so that's uh, that's hunting sometimes but uh, yeah I've been fishing and I got a lot of stuff left to do here this summer then obviously I'll be getting trail cameras out soon and you know kind of preparing for the upcoming season here too so then I you know I try to shoot my bow whenever I can too you know I just have a target set up behind my shop and uh, that's probably the best thing I ever did is um, you know, obviously you've got to you know, live somewhere or have something but you know to be able to do it but boy when I made shooting convenient where I could just step out the door and I had my yardage paced off and I could just fling a few you know four or five arrows you know every day that uh, that helped me a lot you know as far as my confidence and shooting and stuff like that so I try to try to keep shooting through the summer and uh, that way I'm comfortable and confident once fall arrives so Okay. Yeah. That convenience factor is just, it's very important. You know, the, it's just one less excuse to make to, to not go out and shoot. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is what it is, right? If you live in a town or a community where you have to drive outside of town or you have to drive to an archery range and then so be it. Right. But, uh, boy, if you can put a, a, a target up in your, in your yard or, you know, somewhere where it's just easy, where you can just do it easy, easier to make it the more you do it you know so that's one thing that i found so i just thought well i'm gonna make it easy so i got a target set up and and uh works all great so all right good to hear so let's dive into the fishing a little bit so what uh what sort of tactics have you have you been using lately and and found to be successful well you know just all the wind and the rain and you know it's just been a late spring it's been a cool summer so far everywhere we go it seems like we're still finding a lot of fish shallow you know, um, much more so than normal. Um, we were even up in, you know, we were up, you know, bear hunting last week in northern Manitoba. And granted, it's quite a ways up there. You know, we were way up by Cranberry Porridge and, you know, the Paws. But uh, uh, we were still fighting lake trout in 30 feet of water. You know, we were vertically jigging them. You know, the walleyes were, you know, 3 to 10 feet. You know, and on Devil's Lake, most of the fish are less than 10 feet. You know, and um, even over on Sakakawea, you know, we've been pitching jigs up in less than five feet and catching fish and so it seems like that's been just kind of a common theme is shallow fish lots of casting lots of pitching there's times where you can troll and catch shallow fish too but it's a lot of uh you know keeping your boat out in deeper water and casting in on them so mm-hmm. yeah and that just seems to be a really fun way to catch fish too oh yeah it's yeah it's it's 
whether you're casting crankbaits, casting jigs and plastics, swim baits, jigs and bait. I mean, it's it is. You're to pull a hundred walleye anglers, especially. You know, I would say a big percentage of them, if they could catch a walleye any way they wanted to, would be pitching a jig. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And are you finding that the bigger sized fish are in shallow too? Yeah, everything is. You know, these fish post spawn and they're just looking for some heat. They're just looking for some warmth. You know, and so you know, water temperatures are still cold. I mean, they're still. You know, across the board, we haven't seen too many days where we've seen above 60 degrees. You know, so we're looking at mid to high 50s, even though it's already the middle of June, you know, in a lot of places that we've been. And so, yeah, it's it's definitely been a deal where we've been catching big fish up shallow, too. Okay. And will you continue to, to fish shallow for a pretty lengthy period of time? Or is there like a certain water temperature where you're going to start shifting out a little bit deeper? You know, it, it can really vary by the fishery. You know, there's some fisheries that you know, that shallow bite bait might be pretty short-lived, or there might be a smaller population of fish maybe up shallow using some cabbage that's come up or some type of a weed growth, but maybe 80% of the fish are out on deep, you know, structure, you know, where you think of classic walleye locations. But um, one thing that I've noticed, you know, years past is that uh, whenever we have a cold, windy, wet, late spring, it seems like a lot of these a lot of that good fishing up shallow, it, almost like it extends further into the summer, if that makes any sense, where uh, some of this stuff is going to happen for a little while, especially when you combine it with high water. High water will keep fish shallow, too. In a lot of places, we do have high water this year, you know, uh, relative from what it was a year ago. And, you know, the other thing is that some some lakes just set up different. You know, we've got a lot of lakes in eastern South Dakota, Devil's Lake, you know, places where those fish are shallow to begin with. You know, they're shallow. There's a population of fish that are up in weeds, especially almost all summer long. And then when you add a foot or two of new water, you know, have that high water, it just creates a situation where, you know, there's going to be fish shallow for big parts of the year this year because of all those different factors combined. So, yeah, I, I anticipate a lot of, there'll be a lot of shallow bites this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, say once we get into the, you know, a little bit more of the dog days of summer, the Julys and then the August, what sort of tactics are you going to shift to? It can vary. I mean, obviously there's some fish that go deep at that time, you know, where we might be, you know, using jigs or jigging wraps or lead core or pulling deep diving cranks. I mean, that's all an option. Snap weights and obviously bottom bouncers and rigs or bottom bouncers and spinners catch a lot of fish. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, a lot of times when, when you're fishing shallow, what happens is you get into July and August is that the profile of the weed line changes so much where say you're catching fish right now, you know, maybe casting like a number five shad wrap or a rumble shad or maybe a, a three eighths ounce swim bait. And that's what's working. And you, you're, the boat's in eight feet of water and, and those baits are clipping down four or five feet on a cast, maybe if you're lucky. Whereas a month and a half from now, those weeds are all going to be growing up and there's going to be maybe a foot of open water between the tops of the weeds and the surface of the water. And it might be a deal where you start using lighter swim jigs to skate over the top of those weeds or shallow running baits that only go down a foot or two to get over the tops of the weeds. And that's something that, you know, um, probably throws some people off as you think, okay, later in the year, I got to use, if I'm using a crankbait, I got to use even a bigger bait or a deeper diving bait because the fish go deeper you know, a lot of times with these weed fish, especially in the Dakotas, um, on these natural lakes where you've got weed growth that stops at eight, nine feet because of the water clarity, uh, 
you know, you're, you're running shallower baits as you get further along because those weeds grow up and, and you just have less room to work. You know, you want to always fish over the tops of the weeds. And what I find is, you know, even in, say, 10, 11, 12 feet of water, if you have weeds that are coming up, say, 7, 8, 9 feet up off the bottom, you throw a bait that's only going down two feet over, over under the surface, but those fish come up and eat it. You know, and it, and it probably feels weird throwing a bait that goes down two, three feet of water when you're fishing over, say, 10 feet of water. But, you know, if you know those weeds are there, then that's, you know, that's what you got to do. And that's where, that's where those fish are, you know. So um, that's something we see a lot in July and August that, you know, maybe a lot of people don't um, take advantage of or don't anticipate or don't think about. You know, a lot of times people leave shallow water at a certain period of time because they, you know, we've been told our whole lives that fish start out shallow in the spring and then they move deep in summer and fall which some of them do but you get good weeds and high water and that's going to create that's going to keep a lot of fish shallow a lot of times we catch a lot of big fish shallow okay so how uh how far up do you think a, a walleye will go to to a hit long your bait ways. if they can see it and feel it and they know it's there i think they'll come up a long ways i mean i think uh you know, you look at, like, when we're pulling deep diving baits, like out on Lake Oahe and Sakakawi and stuff, I mean, there's times where, you know, say we're pulling, a, say, like a reef runner, a tail dancer, you know, something that, you know, free diver, whatever it is, something that gets down, say, 20 to 30, 35 feet of water. And, uh, you know, there's times where, um, you know, come off end of a point or whatever, and you're out over say 50, 60, 70 feet of water. And, you know, I mean, you, you don't know where that fish came from when a fish hits, right? But a lot of times, I, you know, I make a mental note, like, well, I'm marking fish in 40 feet, 50 feet, and and my bait's only going down 30 feet, you know, and it's uh, still getting hit. Now, there might have been a high-riding fish I didn't catch on my electronics. That's entirely possible. But I think a lot of times these fish come up a long ways, if they, you know, especially in clearer water or... Um, and I think they'll follow it a long ways at times too, you know? So, um, yeah, I think they're, I think they're more ambitious than what people sometimes give them credit for. I mean, I, you know, with those weed fish, I don't know if they're buried in the bottom and they, and they shoot up and hit stuff as it comes over the top. But I think a lot of them are just cruising. You know, I think, um, a lot of the fish that we catch, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're cruising whatever edges or open lanes they can find in those weeds, you know? And, uh, one of the most obvious edges is the top of the weeds to the surface of the water. You know, that's if it's halfway down in the water column, whatever it is, but it's almost like those fish, you know, the, the aggressive fish, you know, they're, they're riding that edge, you know. And so uh, I always tell, you know, with bass fishing, we fish in the weeds. Like we'll, we'll rig presentations to go in the weeds, right? Whereas walleyes, they act different where, yeah, those times where walleyes will really bury themselves in the weeds, but but a lot of times it's like they, they like to cruise and they like to roam and it's like you find those open edges and lanes and they need like a they need like a runway they need they need an edge that they can follow that they can swim up and down along and uh, a lot of times that's where we're catching walleyes and weeds and so with that being said a lot of times with walleye fishing it's not that we're fishing we're fishing around weeds we're not fishing in the weeds we're fishing next to weeds if that makes any sense yep so if so. you're so if you're going to be targeting a weed line you're probably better to spend your time casting like perpendicular to the weeds versus right through over the top well it depends i mean if you can go right over the top if you're running a bait that stays above them right or maybe it's a deal where the fish aren't 
on that top edge, but they're on the bottom deep outside edge. And maybe you're running a bottom bouncer and a really short snell and you're just sliding along the deep side. There's other times where I'll run just small bullet weights in a short snell with a harness and, and kind of skate through weeds that are kind of sporadic and clumpy, you know, and so it varies, but, um, but, but that's one thing that, and I know there's exceptions. I mean, we've seen walleyes and wild rice and cane and, you know, different things where it was like they were like buried and you had to pull them out like a bass. But, but a lot of times, I would say, you know, eight times out of ten, it's more of a deal where those fish are running those open lanes and they're running those edges, whether it's inside edge, especially in high water, that inside edge can be really underrated where you have last year's weed growth that stopped maybe in three feet. Now you had two more feet of new water, and those that inside edge is at five feet. I mean, that can be deadly. If it's high water, that inside edge is a lot of times better than the outside edge, uh, or it could be the outside edge. It could be just an... Uh, uh, just a trough or two that, or sometimes in these dishbowl natural lakes in the Dakota, it's almost like a bowl where it's like a f- slough that gets flooded and then it, high water r- overruns into another slough and it's almost like you have a bowl or a trough in the middle where it's maybe eight feet where the weeds stop and then all around it's surrounded by weeds and, and those fish are just stacked in that bowl, you know, and so, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of different scenarios that play out, but, um, Especially this year, you know, it's going to be a shallow, it's going to be the year of the weed bite in a lot of places here in the Dakotas, especially. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Do you like to use forward imaging when you're on these weed edges or is it more of just like a visual finding where the weeds are and stuff like that? I I take all the help I can get. I mean, I use side imaging a lot for finding different stuff. Um, Obviously, forward facing sonar can be a big help with certain things. and and sometimes you just have to you know put your sunglasses on and look and see you know i mean you know i always figure you know you take all the help wherever you can you know and so any tool that's available i'll try to use it and and there's different tools that work in different capacities obviously uh, even a gps and a contour map's a big thing right once you get things really figured out a lot of times with weed fish especially um, it takes a little while to figure it out it takes a, a little while to figure out the angle where to cast, you know, how deep to cast from, what baits to use, the angle to throw the bait so you're not fouled up all the time. And and then the weeds change and grow, and then a week later you go out there and you have to almost relearn it, you know. And so um, it's, uh, it isn't always necessarily the easiest fishing on the lake, especially when those weeds get high. But, um, you know, even like with forward-facing sonar, uh, sometimes, you know, you can see fish moving. That's probably the biggest thing is, you know, you'll see fish squirting out of the weeds as you come up onto the weeds and, and you'll see those fish moving around. There's definitely situations that hide fish with weeds. I don't care what kind of sonar you have. Um, there's definitely situations where you're not going to see them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even like side imaging and stuff, you know, what I always say, whether it's forward-facing sonar or um, side imaging, is that uh, it's almost like you're not going to see fish in certain things, but if you know the spot good enough, you can see fish when they're not in those things. Does that make sense? And I guess the best analogy I can come up with is, say if you're looking into the woods and you're you're in a deer blind or a deer stand, right? And you're sitting there and you've got trees all around you and you've got these open lanes and you've got these spots where maybe the trees are thinner, okay? And... um, 
through the course of the day as the sun changes, there might be four or five things that kind of look like a deer at times where you put your binos up. No, it's not a deer. It's a stump. Oh, it's a horizontal log lane, kind of funny. And now the sun's lower and all of a sudden it looks darker. I put my binos up. No, that's not a deer either, right? But you, you, you learn the area around you so good that when a deer does step into an opening, you know it and see it right away. The longer you sit there and the more you sit there, the more in tune you are to that. Sometimes these electronics can be that way. And I think that's where people struggle is that they buy unit, but they still don't fish enough with it to really learn the unit. And they definitely don't fish it enough to learn the spot. And so people are like, is that a fish? Is that a fish? Is that a fish? I'm like, well, sometimes you don't know, right? Because rocks can look a lot like fish in the right situation. Mm-hmm. Unless, the, unless the fish is moving, like on forward-facing sonar, then it's obvious. And even when you start getting into like uh, active target and stuff, you can even see the species of fish sometimes, where you can definitely, you know, so, you know, tell difference between like say a oh like a carp and a bass i mean they, they look different sometimes you even see kind of how their fins are shaped and stuff whether they have like a caudal fin and dorsal fin with you know raid for example but when you uh, you know a lot of times what you know you're looking for a difference or say you come off of a weed line and and you know that there's no rocks off that weed edge, and you come off with your side imaging, there's some open gaps and lanes where if there's fish there, you can see them. A lot of times, you know, you're looking for fish in those open patches, if that makes any sense. You know, like even like rock, rock and boulders is really, really hard sometimes to mark fish in. Uh, I've been on spots where it literally felt like there was 50 to 100 smallmouths piled onto a bunch of boulders. Didn't mark a single fish. I don't know if they're laying in the crevices or what, but you don't see them on side imaging. You don't see them on 2D. You don't see them on down view. You just don't see them. And, um, but they're there because you're catching them. And uh, so rocks, riprap, you know, there's certain things that really, really hide fish. And, um, you know, how you find fish in those using your electronics is you look for those openings and gaps and spaces like say you've got a bunch of rock, but there's some patches of sand. There might be a couple of boulders that are kind of scattered loose, and there's sand off of one side of it. And if you catch fish out on that sand, you'll see them. You know, but you have to know the spot good enough to know that okay, there's only six big boulders off the edge, and there's about a 30-yard stretch of sand with no rock in it. So if I see anything in there at all, I know that it's fish, right? It's kind of like when you're looking in the deer woods and you see something that shouldn't be there. And then you know it's a deer. Mm-hmm. So that's, I don't know if that's the best analogy or not, but uh, I just you know something that I've noticed. So yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of trail camera strategy too. Like when you're talking about that, uh, you know, side imaging and seeing boulders and stuff like that. You know, you might you might not necessarily see the fish there, but you've fished it enough to know it's a decent spot and you know like trail cameras you you put a camera out and you you think you know you look over it and you don't see any big deer it's like just because you don't see it right there doesn't mean you know you you're not seeing the whole picture you're not seeing 360 degrees you know it might just be you know evading you or just a little bit out of your out of your sight range there well, yeah, no doubt. I mean, the trail cameras have kind of, they're kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, I know for myself, if I don't have any deer on the trail camera that interests me, it's hard for me to get motivated to hunt, which is kind of sad, you know. I mean, I don't even like to admit that, but it's true. I mean, I, I uh, and granted, I mean, you know, we, we all have only so many days that we can do everything and trying to be a dad and a husband and, and um, am I going to hunt 10 days in a row? When I, I haven't seen a deer from my scouting that I really want to target, might not be a good use of my time. I might be better off living to fight another day and waiting until I do see, find a deer that I want to hunt, you know. But, uh, 
Yeah, and, and I think sometimes big deer learn to avoid trail cameras, and um, no doubt the trail cameras don't tell the whole story, but um, it definitely is a motivating factor when you do get the deer, a, a really nice deer on camera, and you start figuring on, you know, feel like you can start patterning that deer a little bit. I mean, that's uh, that's why we use trail cameras. Obviously, there's a, a entertainment aspect to it, too, checking the cameras and seeing different deer and stuff like that, but... Um, it's just another tool, you know, and, you know, and it's just like trail cameras, right? I mean, so you do see a big deer. All you do know really is that the deer's alive and it exists. You still have to learn a lot more about it sometimes to try to figure out how to kill it, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, getting a big deer on camera is one thing, but, you know, putting an arrow in it, it's definitely another thing. Yeah, especially <laughs> deer that are, that, are, that are coming in after dark, you know, I mean, it's, it's um, you, you got a lot of homework to do. When, you're, when you've got after dark photos, you know, that deer might not even be on your property during the day, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, when you start getting trail cam pics of big deer during the daylight, that's a whole different deal there. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you have any recommendations on nocturnal deer, what your strategy is, what you like to do? Do you like to shift cameras around? Do you like to pull out the spotting scope at that point? What is your thoughts? Well, boy, I don't know. I, I've made a lot of mistakes and I've, done a lot of things wrong with bow hunting and I've screwed up a lot of deer I think over, over my life over the years um, here's the thing I, I try to I guess for myself personally I try to figure out okay why is the deer nocturnal at least where I'm hunting is it because I'm boogering up my spots and my stands and I'm hunting too much and I'm making too much of a presence known where I've pushed that keep pushing that deer further and further away from me you know, once a deer knows it's getting hunted or knows that your presence out there isn't, you know, good, um, they get harder and harder to kill. You know, I really believe that. A, 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 a mature whitetail buck that knows it's getting hunted is a is a tall task, and I can't say that I'm any good at it. I like to try to keep them dumb. I try to, you know, I try to uh, minimize my contact where those deer don't know they're getting hunted. I mean, I... Uh, a lot of the biggest deer I've shot is like the first night or two out of a stand, you know, where I just, I did my homework, put my stand up and killed the deer. And invariably, if I don't kill that deer right away and say I have to hunt a stand 10, 12 times, it doesn't get better. It gets harder. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think a mistake that I made when I was younger, when I was just trying to, and I'm, I'm still trying to learn things. I mean, I definitely don't have all the answers and I'm sure there's people that know way, way more than I do. But, um, when I was younger, I would see a deer, you know, coming in at midnight or whatever, you know, middle of the night. And, and I get all excited and I think, oh man, you know, that deer came by at two o'clock in the morning. But if I just sit here all day, every day for every waking hour, sooner or later, that deer's going to make a mistake and come walking in front of me in the middle of the day. And, I believe in hindsight that that was a big mistake because it, ne- it never really panned out that way because the more you hunt the deer and try to pattern them in the woods uh, or in the field, the more they're also patterning you or they don't get easier, they get harder. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, just, you know, I mean, overhunt your stand and see how it goes, right? When every doe's looking up at you and doing the head bob and the stomp trying to get you to flinch and every deer's checking you out or they circle downwind of your blind and every, you know, you're just disrupting the entire flow and movement of deer around you. They don't get easier, right? They get harder. And so sometimes, you know, um, I, I try to minimize my contact. Um, 
and I try to figure out where that deer is coming from, which usually I, 99% of the time I feel like I guess wrong. I mean, I, I have this in my head of what beautiful bedding area would look like for a mature buck that's quiet and thick and gnarly and nasty. And I embarrassingly usually guess wrong, <laughs> you know. I mean, it, it's not predictable. I mean, sometimes it's like, wow, they, that thing's coming out of there? Why there? There's way better spots, but for whatever reason... You know, maybe it's a deer where they get left alone in certain thing, places. I don't know. But, uh, uh, and I think at least where we're at at home early in the year, especially, you know, I think bugs move them around a lot where there's just certain areas that get uncomfortable because of the mosquitoes and stuff. But, uh, um, yeah, I try to minimize my contact. I try to tread rule lightly as far as I, I definitely feel like you can overlove or overhunt your spots. You know, I see that a lot of times with people that have properties where, you know, they got a very small parcel to hunt on, and they're out there every day, right? They're planting, they're mowing, they're doing this, they're doing that, they're checking trail cameras or whatever, and then they wonder why they're not killing nothing. They'd be better off just staying out of there. Don't go in there until you want to kill a deer, you know, because I, I really believe that a lot of the big bucks just like that silence that, that – uh, I, I, even in North Dakota, you know, you take a, a middle of any section that doesn't have roads going through it, and if there's habitat in any type of a deer population, a lot of times your biggest deer are in the middle where they just have the least amount of contact, the least amount of noise, the least amount of things that stress them, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've been reading a little bit about it too just because I'm trying to develop some property that I own for deer hunting. And, and one of the things I've been seeing this from you know people that i've been listening to on podcasts and different videos and stuff is that those have a lot higher stress level or stress tolerance right where they'll you know they'll raise fawns and and they're they're you know their family groups you know they'll a lot of times they're the closest to the food source and they'll 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 deal with a lot more stress and and i think you know what makes a deer cool is that every deer's got a different personality. Some bucks just, for whatever reason, can maybe handle that stress. And you'll see, you know, you see it all the time, big deer around golf courses. They get used to that human activity and they just, you know, uh, that tolerance or that threshold kept them safe, right? There's a train that comes by, people golfing, people driving by a highway, and there's this big buck right in the middle of it all. Well, because that deer had a certain personality that enabled them to stay he ended up living to be eight years old and got big, right? Where the deer that had the threshold where, oh, I can't stand all this commotion. That train's driving me nuts. I can't take this anymore. And he goes off in the country and gets killed, right? So, I mean, deer have different personalities. And um, and there's definitely, you'll definitely see um, things that, you know, keep deer alive. But I think by and large, with a lot of, unless you're hunting urban deer, you know, these deer like the least amount of human contact as possible for big deer. I, I really believe that. Um, so with that being said, you know, if you have a deer that's coming in during the dark, is it because it's coming from the neighbors? It's coming from somewhere. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times it's just trying to figure out where that deer is coming from because if you can't hunt where that deer is coming from, there's nothing you're going to do, right? You could wait till the rut and maybe get lucky, but... Uh, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I hate rut, uh, the rut myself. I mean, I love the sitting over mock scrapes and and that traffic. And you know, I like certain things about the rut. But the thing I don't like about the rut is unpredictableness, where you can have a deer pegged all year and put a lot of time into it, and somebody three miles away shoots that deer that's never seen that deer before in their life. You know, and so there's a randomness, luck. Like if you don't do any work, the rut's where it's at, right? I mean, the, the, that's probably the best chance you have of really getting lucky of seeing a deer you've never seen before 
say, for example, you're over hunting your land and you don't have hardly any, you never see any daytime photos of big deer, but you've got four does and that one doe goes, you know, into heat and and uh, all of a sudden that deer catches a whiff of it from two miles away and he's there and you shoot him, you know. So, I mean, there's good things about the rut for a lot of people, but uh, I don't know, you know, as far as any tricks or tactics for shooting a deer that's coming in during the dark, you better... If your property is very small, you better figure out, well, you better get permission from your neighbors because that's the only chance you have, right? That deer is not close enough to you. And the other thing is is if you're overhunting your spots, making too much presence, um, you, you never have a chance anyway. So you got to let things settle down enough where maybe that deer will choose to bet on your property. Then you have a chance, you know. So that's one of the things like with the remote cameras and stuff, you know, is the more you can monitor stuff and watch stuff with less presence, the better. You know, like I set up a lot of my cameras where I don't have to, ever have to get on my pickup and I don't walk. And people are like, man, how late? You're, you're the laziest person I've ever seen. You just drive up and, I mean, it's all by design, right? Well, I don't want to leave any presence. Those deer get used to a certain amount of vehicles. They, you know, there's people hanging, there's people spraying crops, there's people out and about doing things in regards to agriculture, you know, all summer long. I want to mix in my activity of that where all they smell is the exhaust of a vehicle and tires just don't leave any smell and that, you know, they get used to the sound, bouncing pickup, going down a pasture. You know, they hear that once a week or so and guys are checking their cows and fixing a fence. Or I just want to blend my activity in with that stuff going on and leaving no presence and no smell, you know, and, and, you know, even like I can't tell you how effective it is. Even when you're going out to a stand and and say so you got a food plot or whatever, and you just can't shake the deer off of it. And if you get out of the stand at a certain time, you're going to educate a lot of deer. Just have somebody drive out there and get you. They'll drive out, spook all the deer away. You hop in the vehicle, and those deer they don't ever associate the blind or with danger. They associate the vehicle coming out there. Oh, that's kind of a weird time for this vehicle to come out. I've never seen them come out this time before, but I've seen it before. You know, they don't they don't get so out of, you know, I don't think that it, um, like they don't get as scared of it, right? And so sometimes if you try to be real sneaky, you scare the Jesus out of them. Right? <laughs> yeah, right? absolutely. Mean, you're going to get out of your pickup and sneak real quietly back in the woods and walk a half mile and sneak back in there and check your trail camera. You did a lot more damage than if you were to take a loud four-wheeler and just drive back there Mm -hmm. where nothing touches the ground but the tires and you don't ever get off of it, you know. And so that's just my opinion or take. Now, once I get into hunting mode, then I try to be really sneaky. I mean, I don't ever, you know, I don't ever drive a vehicle anywhere close. I'm walking long distances and I'm trying to wear rubber boots and walk down trails and stuff where I don't ever have to touch nothing. I'm trying to take the, you know, like if there's an area that's mowed or whatever where I can just wear rubber boots and, leave no sign, you know, or as little as possible in trying to figure out, you know, where those deer aren't going to walk so they don't ever cut my trail. You know, I, you know, I put a lot of thought into that, but, uh, and, you know, if I'm willing to walk far and put in a little bit extra work, a lot of times that pays off. But as far as the recon, um, I don't know, don't get too sneaky. Don't get too tactical. Just keep an eye on things from a distance. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of times I'll even... When I, when I check cameras, I'll roll my window down. I'll make sure it's just one window and uh, try to make sure that the wind's right, you know, even where even while I'm checking cameras, my wind doesn't blow in where I think those deer are bedding, you know, and they just don't ever they just don't ever get a, a big reaction out of those deer. They just kind of keep doing what they're doing, and then 
they keep doing it long enough where you can pattern them and then hopefully try to kill one of them, if that makes any sense. You know, I mean, I don't mm-hmm. have all the answers, but I'm just, you know, those are just my observations. There's some things that work for me. I'm out in egg country where there's a lot of farming and, you know, egg activity. Obviously, it's a lot different than hunting big woods where you can't just drive everywhere, you know. So uh, I know every place is different, so. Yep. That's a great piece of advice. Just understanding the, the tolerance levels of deer and in what sort of disturbance you're bringing in. I think you're, I think you're right on point there with the, with the driving a vehicle because, you know, like they hear a tractor all the time, they hear engines and, you know, you just think that, you, you know, that's something that they've heard before and they haven't associated it with any imminent danger yep. so then you know like you can you can get okay with you can get by with a lot of that stuff yeah and even like a vehicle you know there's there's um you know vehicle contains your scent really well right until you open up a window you know and and uh yeah and and the tires and everything and and um the noise is something they've heard before so yeah i mean i'm a i'm a big proponent or believer in that and um you know so a lot of times when i'm putting cameras out and stuff i mean i'll i'll pound a fence post or something on the ground or i'll put it in a certain way where i can just drive right up to it check it you know and obviously with the with the remote trail uh, phone cameras i mean you're checking them a lot less but i still have to change batteries once in a while and and do some things that way too you know and and um you know obviously you know the lithium batteries help and you know some people use solar panels and things like that um I'm even looking at, you know, trying to figure out how to, you know, use like some of the bigger lithium batteries like we use for powering our Vexlars and, and stuff like that on a trail camera thinking, boy, if I could get, you know, two months out of a camera or whatever it is, three months, four months, um, that would go a long ways. Um, and obviously some cameras just um, get a lot of pictures. I mean, like, you know, again, I'm in egg country where there's a lot of... Uh, hay ground and grass and things like that and i mean i could go and mow in front of the cameras which i've done that in the past i've taken weed whackers and knocked stuff down so i'm not getting as many wind pictures you know from when it's windy from weeds moving and stuff like that but uh um you know that's part of it too is that sometimes uh i feel like i'm better off trying to do less unless i actually need to shoot create shooting lanes for a ground line i try to what i do is i just try to drive over whatever tall grass I can see that's tripping my camera, I just try to drive over with a pickup so I don't leave any scent. Or, and even like with ground blinds, right? I mean, I use ground blinds a lot. And um, well, if I can do it, like when, when there's rain or rain in the schedule, uh, I like to do that because I feel like rain washes <coughs> or eliminates a lot of your presence and scent. But uh, a lot of times I'll pop ground blinds up and I'll stake them down and uh, I just do it as quickly and <clears throat> just try to do it as quickly and and, uh, and smoothly as possible. But I don't worry about like hiding them or covering them or, or anything like that. I feel like that's like if I spend an hour blending a, tr- a, a, a ground blind into the landscape and uh, I'm cutting down all kinds of branches and trees, and I'm shoving them into the blind and stuff. I've left so much scent and sign and presence from me, right? I don't care if you wear rubber gloves or whatever. You just, a deer knows if you're walking around in the grass and you're cutting branches and you're handling stuff and touching stuff, I don't care what you're wearing. I don't care. That deer knows you are there, right? Every deer that comes by there in the next day or two is going to know that. Whereas if you just pop it up, you know, rubber boots, pop it up, put stakes in the ground and drive away, 
you just have a lot less presence. I mean, I don't think deer get freaked out so much about what a ground blind looks like, but what they really get freaked out about is our scent, our smell. Mm-hmm. Nothing will freak out deer like just the, the smell of a human being, you know. So I just try to, everything I do, I just try to keep that hu- that human smell way down. Even putting ground blinds up, people are like, oh, you got to do this, do that. I'm like, no, I don't do anything. I yeah. pop them up. Wear rubber boots, maybe throw a carpet remnant in the bottom, you know, so I can, you know, and maybe my chair and, uh, and drive away, do it five minutes and, and, um, you know, do it when there, when there's rain in the forecast. And, and a lot of times I'll have pictures of deer the next day standing 30 yards in front of that blind. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You know, you can you can sometimes fool a deer's eyes and sometimes fool a deer's ears, but you're not going to fool the nose. It's well, just it's well, a fool's errand trying to right do now. that. There's things that are changing. I mean, does a deer know what a ground blind is? Maybe if they've been shot and wounded or shot at, they you know I think they're smart enough to, they, where they could associate both trail cameras and ground blinds with danger. I think there's some deer that do put that together, and, and they, they're intelligent enough of an animal, but. You know, in the big, in the big scheme of things, you've got one day it's small hay ground, and then a day there's all these tractor smells and the rumbling. And they can hear equipment bouncing around. Then the next day they come back and there's twenty round bales, right? Does a deer leave the area because of the round bales? No, right. So everything you do, you just blend in with the, with the egg that's going on. Ground blind is just another hay bale. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, excellent advice, Jason. We got ourselves a little bit of fishing, a little bit of hunting in there. It's yeah. a, it's a great time to be an outdoorsman. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. That's that's good living. All right. Well, you know, best of luck out there in the boat and in your upcoming hunting seasons. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you.